0: our ministries and help us to serve you well. And we'll thank you for it all in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. <clears> Open <throat> the Bible, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we begin our reading tonight in verse number 23. We've already spoken about the institution of the Lord's Supper we talked about the elements involved in the Lord's Supper. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, uh, the purpose uh, of the Lord's Supper as we find it set forth here in these verses. Verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying that this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come." Far too many people, I think, partake of the Lord's Supper without really understanding what they're doing. And uh, sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's the pastor's fault, because if it isn't taught, it's not going to be learned. And a lot of times that's one of those things that, you know, that as, as a pastor we just assume, oh well, you know, everybody knows that and the fact of the matter is they don't, and even if they do, they need to be reminded of some things related to that. But that was certainly the case with the Christians there at Corinth, and keep in mind that in Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, he is writing to correct certain problems that existed, and their misuse of the Lord's Supper uh, was one of the main problems, and it created all kinds of other problems. So, Paul is writing for the sake of trying to correct this issue. And, and notice in verse 23, it's important that you notice that he is not just expressing his opinion. You know, sometimes, you know, we preachers might say, well, you know, I, I think or, or, you know, I've always believed or I've been told. But notice what Paul says. He says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered Unto you. In other words, he is relating to them what he had received of the Lord. This isn't some idea that he had come up with. This is not something that has been handed down to him. This is not something he found in the denominational literature, you know, that everybody uh, needs to, to read and to study. But this comes by a direct revelation from God. And he wants them to understand that that I'm just not giving you my opinion, but this is what God has given to me to give to you. You know, that same thing could be said to be true every time we open the Bible, every time we read from the Word of God. It's not a matter of whether, you know, Brother Stone or Brother Preston... Uh, said this or that, it's a matter of whether God says it or not. And that's why I've often said, don't ever believe anything just because I say that it's so. I want you to believe it because the Bible declares it, and that, you know, we can always trust the Bible. Now, I want you to notice four reasons that are stated here why we need to observe the Lord's Supper. First of all, in verse number 25, we see responsibility. Responsibility. He says, this do ye. Now, let's suppose that no other reason existed whatsoever. And this was the only reason, just this plain, simple command. You know, that ought to be enough. We shouldn't need any further explanation. We shouldn't need any other reasons. The fact that he said this, do ye. We don't have the right to just pick and choose what commands that we're going to obey and which commands we refuse to obey. We ought to obey the entirety of God's Word and do so without any hesitation whatsoever. Several years ago as we were getting ready to observe the Lord's Supper and I had announced it you know a few weeks ahead of time and had been uh, teaching some on the subject and and after a Sunday morning service one of the women came to me and uh, and told me that she was not going to be observing the Lord's Supper this time and she said it's because of this certain sin in my life, and she said, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite about it, and so, and I realize how serious it is, and uh, so I, I, I'm just not going to observe the Lord's Supper this time. Now, I could tell by her demeanor and the tone of her voice and everything that she thought that sounded like a super good spiritual idea. Let me tell you, it's not. It's not, that's a cop out. To say, you know what, I'm not going to observe the Lord's Supper because I've got sin in my life. I want you to get it out. If you know there's sin in your life, then you need to confess that sin. He says, this do ye. Now that, now look, that we're not to do it under certain conditions. That's true, but we're to change the conditions, not just ignore the ordinance. You know, just you know, oh, oh, well, you know, I, yeah, I've got this sin, and I kind of, I kind of like it, you know, I don't really want to quit it right now, so I'm just not going to show up when they observe the Lord's Supper. Well, sounds pretty serious to me. Uh, others, just for no apparent reason, they don't even give an explanation; they, they just don't, they don't even show up. And, and you know, I have been so amazed over the years, and. Uh, there have been times that I have waited intentionally to schedule the Lord's Supper until people started asking about it. Because when people start inquiring about it, you know it's on their mind, and, uh, and I think they're in a the good condition uh, and position to, to partake of the Lord's Supper at that time. But you would be amazed at the number of times that I've had Supper, and So finally we do, and th- that's really amazing, isn't it? But look, we have a responsibility, folks. You know, that that's, that that's what he says here. This do ye. Remember, the Lord said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? So what gives us the right to ignore him? What gives us the right to ignore any command found in all of the Bible? I mean, it's... You know, not cafeteria style where you come in and you know, well, I, I, I like that, but boy, I don't care much about that, you know, and that's always been bitter to my taste. I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, we're obligated to obey all of it. And we have a responsibility and the very the very fact that we observe the Lord's Supper reminds us of our responsibility but notice not only is it a responsibility look in verse 24 and this is repeated in verse 25 also we see that it is a reminder he says in both of those verses notice in remembrance of me in remembrance of me if years ago i think in fact we gave it to brother turk i believe and it on the front of it and uh All across America, I can guarantee you right now, in many churches, there are those words engraved on communion tables in churches across America. They have been engraved on pulpits and communion tables in different places down through all of the years. As Somebody said, that is the text for a thousand sermons. And whenever you stop and think about it, and uh, notice, in remembrance of me. And then you start thinking about all of the excellencies of Christ. you think about his great attributes and uh, and, and i don 't doubt but what you could get a thousand sermons out of that in remembrance of christ that, that it 's impossible to just sum it all up in one little brief message in remembrance of me. you see it is a memorial and uh, we can drive across this great country of ours in different places and we see monuments that have been erected for the for the sake of commemorating great deeds that have taken place and great honoring great men and women that have contributed to the welfare of our society Uh, those monuments play an important part in our nation's history I think about whenever Israel, you know, was passing over Jordan and the Lord stopped them in the tracks and commanded Joshua to take the 12 stones and uh, put those stones there as a reminder to the future generations. And uh, that way, whenever he was dead and gone, and those children uh, would see those stones there, and they would inquire, what does this mean? And it would give them an opportunity to relate to those children the great deliverance that God had effected in their life and the fact that God had delivered them and God had directed them and God had brought them to the very promised land that he had offered for them. So when we think about a memorial, then it it, it, it honors great lives and Boy, whenever we think about Christ, I I mean, we couldn't speak of anyone greater than Him. I I don't know how you would say it. He's just in the class by Himself. There's nobody to compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and when we come to the Lord's table, we do so to honor His life. But not only does a memorial honor great lives, it recalls great deeds. And we think about, you know, the... Uh, down through history, all of the great deeds that have been accomplished, all of the great things that has been done. But boy, when you go to Calvary and you think about the sacrifice of, that Christ made on the cross, there, there's absolutely nothing in history so great as that. To think about his substitutionary death, to think about the greatness of the love that he expressed when he allowed himself There on that cross. You know, the Bible never tells us to celebrate His birth. A lot of people get all bent out of shape and think, "Oh, it's just terrible!" You know, we're not going to celebrate the birth of Christ this year. And by the way, by the way, I I know I know preachers who don't. By the way, there was a time, even here in America, where it was a no-no to do such. You just didn't celebrate uh, Christmas. You didn't participate in that. It was considered to be a heathen holiday, even though it was done in the name of Christ. But the fact remains. Even though we celebrate it, I don't think... Listen, I don't think we ought to, you know, let the fact that the Bible doesn't tell us to stop us from doing it. Uh, I, I mean, we're celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, oh, but, but if, if you don't find the command in the Bible to do it, well, you shouldn't do it. Well, how about the air conditioning in here? You think we will take that out? Uh, there's no command in the Bible says, you know, that we're to worship in an air-conditioned building either. And and so the Bible doesn't have to state those things. It's a given that we are to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and we are to honor Him in absolutely every respect. So while there is nothing wrong with observing uh, or honoring the birth of Christ, there's no command to do so. We think about His uh, miracles. And the Bible doesn't tell us to erect any monuments to His miracles. Well, we could do that. You know, somebody that's really good at making these these beautiful monuments out of out of bronze and what have you, they could well they could just paste plant those all over the countryside out here. But the Bible doesn't say to do that. We are commanded to remember his death the very thing that is the greatest act of injustice in the history of the world, and he says, you do this in remembrance of me. In other words, he never wants us to forget the sacrifice that he made. So the memorial honors great lives, it recalls great deeds, but also it provides instruction. I just mentioned Joshua and the twelve stones that were placed, and listen to what he said in chapter number four. He said, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial for the children of Israel forever. Now, when we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, quite obviously, and they, you know, we've got the little children and what have you, and as they are observing us, Observe the Lord's Supper. It gives us an opportunity to instruct them in the things of the Lord. I am all for Children's Church and we worship and things like that. I'm all for it for kids that do not have parents in the service. And I've never made a big deal out of this or anything, but I'll tell you, I think it's the most abused and overused thing that most churches do when the kids ought to be right there by mom and dad. They ought to see mom and dad shout hallelujah. They ought to see the tears in their eyes. They ought to be there when mom and dad kneel in prayer. They ought to be there when the worship is going on. So now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not criticizing our people that work in that or anything. I'm not saying we ought to stop that because there are kids that do not get the training they need on the level they're at. They don't get that. We are forced to do that because of the failures in the families today. We've got to do it. So, so, don't try to, you know, turn that against me and think I'm against that because I'm not. I'm just saying that if we were doing our job as parents like we ought to do, we wouldn't need that. That's, that's what I believe, and that's what he's saying here in regards to those stones. When the children ask, what, what does this mean? And those little children are going to sit there and they're going to ask them, The elements are past. Well, what's this and what's that? And they're taught what those things mean. That, that's why whenever, whenever we're having a baptism, because they want them to witness that. That's, that's great. They need to witness those things. This is a time of instruction for younger people. And I'm so glad in the church where I was saved that we were well instructed every time before we ever observed the Lord's Supper. And maybe maybe that's why I'm such a stickler for doing this, because I know in a lot of places, you know, they just automatically do it every week, never any words of instruction. And that, that's their business. But I think that we need to make sure that, that not just the children, but everybody understands. And whenever we observe the Lord's Supper, listen, when we've been taught and then we observe the Lord's Supper, It doesn't need a big explanation of any kind. It is a message in and of itself. And that's why when we gather here, when we schedule the Lord's Supper and we gather here, we'll have a couple of songs and what have you and a few comments, and there won't be any big long sermons or anything because the Lord's Supper is a sermon in and of itself. It is a silent but powerful sermon if we approach it with the right attitude. So we receive instruction from it. But in addition to that, memorials also provide inspiration. It's just something about, you know, inspiring, about looking at a, at a great memorial. You know, whether it's Grant's tomb or the Lincoln Memorial or uh, Washington Monument, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, we're all affected in different ways. You go some of the Civil War battlefields and you get out there and you you look at the same little stream that at one time run red with blood and you go and you see the markers where this happened and that happened and it just, you know, it helps you to recall all of the Uh, all of the battles that were fought and and, and the sacrifices that had been made. There's something inspirational about that. And let me tell you, we should never do anything in the church more inspirational than observe the Lord's Supper. I believe and I think a lot of folks would agree whenever we we sing, you know, uh, we sing victory in Jesus, for example. That inspires me. Uh, we, We think about going to heaven and think about the things that god has done and the things that god is going to do music just inspires me and somebody said this morning said i couldn't hardly keep from standing up i was about to stand up and explode and you know and shout and i and I, I told the person well go ahead and help yourself you know don't let that don't let that hold you back but what i'm saying is you know music has a way of really moving us and it ought to move us but let me tell you There shouldn't be anything ever move us more than observing the Lord's Supper. And it's not all about how high you jump and how loud you shout. It's what's going on in your heart. Because that's where true worship takes place. Then thirdly, as to the purpose of the Lord's Supper, it is a revelation. Notice verse number 26. He says, ye do show the Lord's death. And that's what I just got through saying, that it preaches a powerful, uh, silent sermon. You do show the Lord's death. And every every time we observe it, we are reminded of the fact that Christ loved us enough that he gave his life on the cross for us. Think about that. While we were yet sinners, that he died for us, for the ungodly. For those of us that are wicked and vile beyond imagination, and Christ died for us. And this is a revelation. You, you do show the Lord's death. You see, it's more than you and I remembering it. We are relating it. It's a revelation from us to those witnesses that would be around us, as it were. We are revealing the Lord's death to others. And then notice that it is a reassurance. You to show the Lord's death and, boy, I'm glad he put these words in here, till he, till he come. You, you see, the Lord suffers not only a command, it is, but it's more than that. It's not only a memorial, it is, but it's more than that. It's not only a testimony, it is, but it's more than that. It is a prophecy. Every time we observe the Lord's Supper, He says, You do show forth the Lord's death till He comes. I'm so glad that we were able to end this morning where we did on that very subject. With the assurance from the Lord that He's going to come back. He's coming back again to reign. The promise is, I'll come again. For if I go away, said Jesus, I'll come back to earth to reign. And He surely will. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about the Lord's coming, he made this statement in chapter 4 of the first letter, verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words what could be more comforting to the children of God than to know that he's coming back comfort one another with these words we think about those that have lost loved ones and the Bible says you know to sorrow not even as others do it didn't say that we're not to sorrow not to grieve over their passing but we're to sorrow not even as others which have no hope you say they don't have any hope But we've got a hope that goes beyond the grave. It ain't over when it's over, you know, here for us. I'll tell you what, because the best is yet to come. And he says, comfort one another with these words. That tells me, notice this is not talking about just you and I deriving comfort from these words for ourselves, but it's talking about us ministering to others in their time of need. We are to comfort them. Jesus promised to those fearful disciples, he said, I will come again and when you tie that together with what he said about the lord's supper in matthew 26 he said i will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when i drink it new with you with you with you remember i said this morning we're going to be with him We're going to see him as he is. We're going to be with him. We're going to be like him. Notice what he's saying. I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day. Boy, I'll tell you what our mind can't even imagine whenever we're seated there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow, that just is absolutely mind-boggling. And all of a sudden, the heavenly chorus began to break out in praise. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Worthy to receive praise and honor and glory and throughout the endless ages as we sing and praise God for all that He's done. The Old Baptist B. H. Carroll, who was so famous for his writing, said, "One who does not believe in the Lord's personal, visible, audible return has no place at the Lord's table." Well, we believe it because that's what it teaches. He said in Hebrews 10:37, that he shall come, he that shall come will come and will not tarry." Uh, Sometimes you hear people say, well, if the Lord tarry is coming, forget that. He's not going to tarry His coming. He's going to come exactly right on time. That's what it says. He that shall come will come, and He's not going to tarry. And that's the day that we're waiting for, the day that we're longing for. And our feelings ought to be exactly like that of John where he ends Revelation chapter 22 where he said, even so Come, Lord Jesus. You know, a lot of folks don't understand that. A lot of folks think we're silly. You mean you're going to be praying that the Lord would come? Well, absolutely. If you understood what it was all about, you'd be praying that way too. Somebody says, oh yeah, but just think of all... You know, if the Lord came today, think about all of the bad stuff that would happen. Yeah, but what you don't understand, if the Lord came in the clouds today and we were called to be with the Lord... Absolutely bad stuff would happen, but do you realize during that seven year period that follows the rapture during that period of time, there is going to be a harvest of souls un- unlike anything the world has ever seen. Revelation chapter seven tells us there are going to be those saved out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Uh, and it's going to be something unbelievable, something the world has never seen before. So even in that time of Jacob trouble in that time when God's wrath is poured out upon this earth. And Jesus said, it'll be a time such as never before. It'll be the worst time in all of history. And yet out of that horrible pit of affliction, the Lord is going to bring forth a harvest of souls. When we think about the Lord's Supper and think about the sacrifice that He made, understand that that's just not the end of everything. That's just showing us how it is that He is able to bring about the conclusion of God's purpose and God's plan. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 speaks about God's eternal purpose You see, this is not something that God just the last minute threw in gear because, well, the wrong people got in the election, you know, and they're they're controlling the country, you know, know, I've got to do something and, and clean up this mess. No, the Lord had all of this planned out before the foundation of the world. He knew exactly what He was going to do. And I can't think of anything better than to think about the fact that the Lord might, you know, even come today. That's... What we, what we all, how we ought to feel about it. Uh, in the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, Gibbon wrote these words, and I found it interesting. He said, the ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium appears to have been the reigning sentiment of all orthodox believers. Well, I don't know how anybody could doubt that. We've got people, you know, thinking and teaching and writing books and things saying that all of this premillennial return of Christ, that's all something that is new. Let me tell you, it's not anything new at all. Listen to what Marcus Dodd wrote. He said, this expression, till he come was the password among the early Christians. When they met one another in the crowded streets of the city in dark places at night or elsewhere, their word of greeting and recognition was, till he comes. The pagan rulers, officers of the law, and peoples were so bitter of their persecution of the Christians that it was necessary for the Christians to maintain secrecy. You'll remember when they met in the catacombs and had to to hide for fear of their lives. And he said, one can easily imagine... How the face of a Christian would light up as he met someone whom he did not know and from he, whom he might uh, fear bodily injury when that one would give the password till he comes. Just picture that in your mind, you're going down this dark street, and somebody's approaching you, and well, you don't know whether to run or fall on your knees and start praying, and you perceive them to be a threat to you and then just as you get real close, you hear those words till he come and and you knew this was the identifying mark of a believer and somebody that you could trust and somebody that you ought to love. And you see, it is around this doctrine that we rally, as it it were, and that we unite as Christians, knowing knowing that He's coming back. And every time, notice, every time we observe the Lord's Supper, He said, you show the Lord's death till He comes. You, You know... That, that kind of encourages me. You know what it tells me? It tells me the world's not going to end tomorrow. Remember whenever he said, And lo, I'll be with you always until the end of the world or the end of the age. I'll be with you. That tells me the Lord's church is going to continue to exist up until the time the Lord comes. That's a, that's an important point because we've got people right now, religious people, trying to tell us that the church is going the way you know of Europe and one day will become extinct and it'll be all gone and there won't be any such thing as the church. Really, there's people that believe that and teach that church just be gone. No, no. I got news for you: the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, if you want to be on the winning side, you better get in the Lord's church and with God's people because we might go through some hard times, but whenever it is all said and done, we're going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, whenever you observe this, this ordinance that you show the Lord's death until he comes and he's coming back to reign Amen. Amen? That's the day I'm looking forward to. Let's all stand. Our Father, tonight we thank you for the exceeding great and precious promises that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that gives us what we, what we need rather than what we deserve. We thank you, Lord, for your loving patience with us because we we fully realize that each and every day of our life we do something that, uh, that should eliminate us from the possibility of any blessings at all. Something that is so offensive in your sight and contrary to your laws that you could justly withhold all of your blessings and instead of doing that, you just keep pouring out your blessings upon us. And Lord, we're just we just stand amazed to think that how you could be so good to us when we're so bad toward you, and we're grateful, Heavenly Father, for all of your many blessings. We're so thankful for the, the day that we've had and the time together. And I pray that as we uh, as we meditate on this subject of the Lord's table, that each and every one of us might fully understand it and that we might as we come to the table that we will appreciate the representation of those of those elements and that it will be the most meaningful time of our life for we ask it all in Jesus name we're going to stand